Hi, I'm Spencer Christian. I've been a broadcast journalist and weathercaster for more than 50 years. And over those years, I've met many remarkable people. Remarkable people with remarkable insight. Now, I'll be talking with them about the issues of the day and about their personal journeys. I'll even share a few of my own. So come join me after the weather, and we'll learn together. Welcome to After the Weather. I'm Spencer Christian. Great to have you with us today. We are going to have a really important conversation today with a very special guest. Let me ask you this. Did you know that the lack of trees in some neighborhoods can result in heat so extreme that it has life or death consequences? Well, my guest today is Jad Daly, president and CEO of American Forests. And he says it's important that we know the tree equity score where we live. So, Jad, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Great to have you with us. And uh, let me, I want to ask you this question, Jed, you've, you've said that our cities are being literally cooked by urban heat. And of course that's uh, urban heat islands, I should say, that can pose a serious health threats. Tell us about the tree equity score, what that means and how that's useful to us. Absolutely. Well, Spencer, first of all, thank you so much for having uh, me on and, uh, and for taking on this critically important topic. Um, it, it, we are here today to talk about a true life or death uh, issue uh, for our cities and towns across America. And, and one that uh, it's not just a climate issue, it's a climate justice issue. Mm-hmm. Um, because I really want people to take away from this that, that we're talking about a massive threat uh, but that is not falling equitably up, uh, across people across America, and um, and so to to understand this story, let me let me start with the story of the tree inequity that we have today. Okay, uh, you know that if I show you a map of trees in any city or town across America, it's also a map of income, and it's a map of race in ways that transcend income. Uh, and and that's something that we've sort of known in the in the urban forest field for many years. My organization, uh, the oldest forest conservation organization in America, has been working on urban forests for over a hundred years. You know, so we wow. we've been you know understanding that trees and cities are important. But I think there's been this growing realization that we have this systemic inequity of trees in our cities. And given how unbelievably important trees are for providing natural cooling, for providing cleaner air, for even providing better mental health. Um, that to have them systemically, inequitably distributed across uh, our communities um, is is really uh, exacerbating all sorts of other health threats and injustices uh, and inequities in our society. And so we created Tree Equity Score to prove this and to also give people the ability to take action on this issue. Um, and so what we did with Tree Equity Score was we said, you know, we've been seeing this problem one neighborhood or one city at a time. So what we need to do was was look at the whole country in a standardized way um, and assess where are we lacking trees and where is that putting people most at risk? And here's what our data show, uh, that in the neighborhoods with the highest concentration uh, of, of low-income people in America, uh, have those neighborhoods have on average 36% less tree cover and are six degrees hotter on average, Fahrenheit, six degrees Fahrenheit hotter on average as a result. That's how direct this relationship is of trees and the shade and other cooling uh, aspects of trees are um, to our communities. Now, here's the part that's going to be really hard for people to hear. It's not just a money thing. 
Yeah. Uh, yes, trees grow on money, but in fact, these inequities are also uh, reflect systemic biases and racism uh, in our society, including uh, the historic pattern of redlining, which unfortunately still uh, continues to occur in different uh, ways in America today. So we looked at and we said we looked at the neighborhoods with the highest concentration uh, of people of color uh, yeah. across America and found that those neighborhoods, regardless of income, have 45 percent less tree cover and are nine degrees hotter Fahrenheit on average. Now think about that for a second, nine degrees. So that makes a 92 That's, degree day into yeah. 101, 101 into 110. And so that, that extra heat, and these are just averages, it's far worse in some cases. Right. So these, this extra heat is literally putting people uh, at risk uh, of death. And 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 folks, uh, permission to multitask, anyone who's listening to this podcast, please go yes. to treeequityscore.org. And we said again, treeequityscore.org. Put in, you can put in the name of your city, you can go neighborhood by neighborhood, and you can see this analysis, um, which is very customized. You know, we understand that the tree cover that you're going to find in Phoenix is different from Boston. So we've account- accounted for all these geographic differences and the differences in the, the settlement form of cities. Um, right. so, and then and then we've correlated with all these d- data about economic status, race, uh, health status, um, uh, age, and uh, an actual impact on urban heat island. What, we, what people will see in their own communities are these neighborhood by neighborhood examples um, of what I'm describing in the way that that's, that's putting up. Uh, uh, those in our community, in many cases, who you know have the or are at greatest risk already because they might not have air conditioning in their homes or they might have pre-existing health conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the tragic irony is that those who most need the protection from trees in our cities uh, are getting it the least. So, in the broader view of things, it seems that quality of life challenges always seem to impact the underserved communities, low-income communities, communities of color more severely than they affect other communities. And now we're talking about. Uh, heat islands and absence of trees and shade also having a, a significant impact on the the health and well-being of people in those communities. So how do we begin to address these inequities? Uh, well, and, and I want to say one more thing, but, and then I'll get right to that question. I want to just characterize for people the magnitude of the risk here. Please, please uh, do. That's, yes. that's probably an important capstone of what I just said before. So people say, well, hey, you know, is this kind of a side issue? Um, you know, is ext- you know, extreme heat really serious to, you know, uh, this cooling issue? There's research from Duke University that shows that today extreme heat kills over 12,000 people per year in America. That's already a stunning total that I think surprises people. Heat kills more people than any other kind of extreme weather by far in our country uh, every year. But here's the really incredible thing, that with the impacts of climate change and how much it is elevating those hottest days all right. across America, not just in like what you're seeing in Texas playing out right now, but as we saw you know, a couple of years ago, we're seeing this in places like Seattle and Portland, Oregon that are famously cool. Um, so this heat risk is now coming to all parts uh, of our country. And, and this Duke University research projects that by the end of this century, we could see 100,000 heat-related deaths per year in the United States alone. Now, that extra 88,000 yes. deaths that they're projecting, that's not going to happen in leafy neighborhoods where everyone has you know great air conditioning and a right. super healthcare plan. It's going to happen in these neighborhoods where people have greater pre-existing risks, health risks, and right. less protection from extreme heat, including from trees. Now, getting on top of this problem, Spencer, is... is uh, 
And one hand simple, another hand complex. It's as simple as this. We have to do a better job of protecting and taking care of the trees in those neighborhoods that are that are are already uh, have less tree cover. And so that's a certain kind of activity and investment. Um, And then we need to plant many, many more trees in those neighborhoods uh, where, where they're lacking. Um, and that work uh, uh, needs to and can be done uh, by, yes, city agencies, you know, public uh, uh, agencies can do this work, but we've got community-based organizations doing uh, this work. We've got private tree care companies that help with this work. We've even now got churches and youth-based uh, organizations who are showing up and saying, hey, we want to be part of this work. So there's a the cool thing about this work of creating tree equity in our cities is there's a role for everyone. There's a role for professionals and volunteers. Uh, We can create 25.7 jobs. Uh, We've shown our research shows for every million dollars that we invest in planting and caring for trees in our cities. Um, So it's 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 a job creator. Uh, It's it's an opportunity for community volunteerism and uh, and collaboration and heck, people even on their own properties in their homes. Um, and, and in apartment buildings where they live in those kinds of things, literally right in their own backyards, uh, can play a role in creating the tree cover uh, that we need uh, need in our communities. And so that's one of the things that, that we're really trying to do is get the message out um, of how this isn't scenery we're talking about. This right. is, these trees right. are life-giving infrastructure. There's a, a chance for everyone to get involved in, and it can bring our communities together in the process. You know, I mean, we, I would suggest we're a country that not only needs to uh, address threats like climate change, but we, we need to come together too. And so this is work that uh, we can do together. We we have polling showing that there's 89% support in America across party lines for using trees as a as a response to climate change in our in yeah. our communities. And so uh, this could bring everyone out, out outside together and uh, and making tree equity happen as as a community. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned climate change there because there's so many benefits from having more trees, especially in urban areas. Not only the benefit of shade and cooling and the obvious health benefits, as you mentioned, but those trees. The more trees we have, the more they reduce the levels of uh, greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. They literally scrub the atmosphere of these uh, harmful um, emissions. Well, Spencer, this is this is amazing. It's like literally, if we were talking about a magic device to make our communities better in the face of climate change, and yeah. by the way, slow climate change at the same time, we couldn't do better than a tree, right? Because we've talked a lot today about natural cooling, but look, let's talk about a couple of other really important things that, and start with that air scrubbing quality that you talked about. That. Right. Uh, Trees uh, remove millions of tons of, of air pollutants uh, from our uh, uh, atmosphere every year here in the United States, uh, uh, help avoid hundreds of thousands of respiratory illnesses and hospital visits per year uh, based on this, this air scrubbing uh, power against uh, you know air smog, essentially ground level air pollution. And, and one reason why that's really important for people to understand is that heat and air pollution work together. That heat actually cooks air pollution. There are certain chemicals in the air that that when heat, when they interact with heat, they're actually more likely to form smog. And so one of the reasons why people tend to uh, die during heat waves, it's the stress on their bodies from heat combined with the additional stress from air pollution. And so it's really important to know that these neighborhoods we're talking about that are systemically underserved in trees, Mm -hmm. um, systemically underserved economically in other ways, are also places where systemically we have higher levels of air pollution. So trees can really actually help address both the heat issue and the air pollution issue uh, simultaneously. And but now you're brought, getting. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Go. I was just going to say, since you brought in the, the economic factor there, uh, having ur- cooling from urban trees reduces home energy use. Also, it saves money. 
Thank you, because that's exactly where I was going to go. So, so now I want to get into the climate fighting power of, yeah. of trees, right? And so it's, it's actually a double play. Um, there are two different ways in which trees in our cities can actually not just protect us from the impacts of climate change, but actually help slow climate change down, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, so one of them you just mentioned, which is that, look, we need to cool homes. And one way we're going to need to do that is, is to uh, have air conditioning be more readily available and help people have homes where they can protect themselves from extreme heat. There's no question about that. But how much energy we have to use to cool people's homes is dramatically impacted by what's the overall temperature in the neighborhood, how much, in effect, cooling load is there on people's homes. And so we have this tremendous research showing that on average, uh, trees reduce energy use for home heating and cooling in America by over 7%, saving homeowners over $7 billion. If you place trees just the right way, we have research showing you can reduce the cooling load in a home by half. Um, so there's a tremendous opportunity that, you know, this is not only life-saving cooling, but it's also climate-saving cooling in the sense that this is going to reduce the amount of energy that we have to use to keep people home. So that's a direct greenhouse gas benefit. But then the other side of that, and you alluded to this earlier, is that trees are also carbon dioxide scrubbers. They eat carbon dioxide. Right. Uh, and it would surprise people to know uh, two things. One is that uh, trees and forests in the United States today uh, capture and store uh, over about 16 to 17% of our carbon dioxide emissions on an annual basis. Okay. Uh, huge contribution that our trees and forests are already making um, to, uh, to, uh, to slowing climate change. But what would really surprise people to know is how much of that is actually coming from trees and forests within our cities uh, and towns. It's actually uh, you know, a little under a fifth of that total carbon sequestration, uh, being the carbon being uh, dioxide being captured in our trees and forests is actually being uh, captured by those trees and forests in our cities and towns. And so every time that we add to uh, to those uh, that uh, with a tr- tree equity, uh, you know, doing tree planting and tree protection uh, in these neighborhoods that need it the most in our communities, we're adding one more carbon scrubber with every tree um, to uh, to our communities. So it's just across the board in terms of health equity, this is a winner. In terms of slowing climate change, this is a winner. In terms of economic justice, whether you're talking about creating jobs for people doing this work, or whether you're talking about pocketbook savings for people who don't have to spend as much money uh, cooling their homes. It's just across the board, this is a way that we can make our our communities more sustainable, healthy, and and just all all in one fell swoop. Now, you've made the point that there are broad-based efforts to uh, uh, improve the tree equity uh, score. In in our urban areas, you've talked about uh, community-based efforts, faith-based efforts, uh, volunteer efforts, uh, student efforts, all of that. But at, at some point, you also want to get governments involved, right? Local government, state government, federal government. How costly is that going to be in terms of, you know, reforest, reforestation of, of major urban areas? Well, look, I have some tremendous news for your listeners, Spencer. It's really incredibly exciting. We have a a, a a sea change in the level of investment that's coming into this work all across America. And the, the, the top line of this story, the big headline nobody should miss, is that uh, this summer, uh, the, the U.S. Forest Service is rolling out, wait for it, $1.5 billion that was secured in the Inflation Reduction Act for no. grants to all those great folks doing this work in cities, grants to city agencies, grants to frontline nonprofit and community-based organizations, grants to uh, churches and youth groups to, to do this work and to come t- and do it as teams 
uh, in our cities across America. And in fact, later this summer, uh, the Forest Service is going to be announcing a billion dollars of, of that $1.5 billion going out in grants. Well, how much interest was there in those grants? On the last day of the application period, the, all the grantees crashed the website at the U.S. <laughs> Forest Service because there were so many people across America who wanted to do this work, who want to be part of this. And it That's was great. a stunning opportunity. said, finally, this isn't, we're finally treating this with the seriousness that it deserves. And I have to give the biggest shout out in the world to our great friend, Senator Cory Booker, who's just a former mayor, of course, if folks know yep. that, he's the mayor of Newark, New Jersey. Yes. Uh, and uh, and and he he took his learnings from being a mayor and really just took this issue on as a personal uh, cause and and worked it for years um, to to get you know folks in Congress to understand that this is not a, a few million dollar year issue. This is actually an issue, a life and death issue that needs that level of investment. And also uh, Senator Debbie Stabenow uh, did a just tremendous job from her leadership role and the late Representative Donald McEachin, who uh, one of the greatest uh, environmental justice, climate justice uh, leaders we've ever had in the U.S. Congress and tragically passed away uh, last year. But he was a huge champion for this issue as well. So uh, those folks have given us the chance to now go and prove you know, what is it? What does this movement look like? What can it do if it gets the kind of federal investment that we put into all other sorts of infrastructure like roads and buildings and and everything else? If we actually treat this, uh, you know, as the life saving investment that it is. But that's being matched by uh, states, many, many states across America, diverse states from Rhode Island to California, uh, you know, are, are all putting uh, unprecedented state funding into supporting this work and cities. I mean, I, I have to tell people about an incredible story in Phoenix, Arizona, the fifth, yeah, uh, fifth largest uh, city in America. It's it feel, folks so know Phoenix is one of the fastest growing cities in America. Mm -hmm. And you might say, Phoenix, my gosh, that's in the desert. They can't grow trees there. Not true. <laughs> um, there are actually all sorts of wonderful tree species that thrive in the desert. And boy, does Phoenix need trees. It is yes. Vulnerable cities in the world, yeah. and uh, um, uh, amazing things happened there in, in the last few years. Uh, Mayor Kite, uh, Kate Gallego, uh, working with the city council, working with a group of over fifty organizations all across uh, Phoenix and the greater Phoenix area. These incredible uh, uh, coalition, including frontline organizations like the Arizona Sustainability Alliance and CHISPA and others, all came together. And they looked at that tree equity score that I told you about earlier, mm -hmm. and they saw how our data proved the ways in which some parts of Phoenix are being systemically underserved at, with trees is putting people at incredible risk um, of heat related death. And so all those uh, groups came together uh, and, and ultimately helped uh, Phoenix make the commitment uh, to tree equity in every neighborhood by 2030 uh, with all of those organizations playing a role. Um, and, uh, and Phoenix itself put millions of dollars of investment on the table to put staffing positions in city government um, to provide grants and other kinds of support out to its partners. Um, and so here you have a, a, you know, a city that where this work is urgent and they are approaching it with the urgency and the and the scientific seriousness, uh, you know, to to really get it right and make a huge difference uh, as part of Phoenix's broader efforts to protect its citizens from from extreme heat. Will these uh, efforts uh, nationwide be job creators, uh, Jed? A hundred and ten percent. I tell you, it's 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 so exciting. Um, one of the when we at American Forest, when we launched our tree equity program five years ago, and as I mentioned, we've been working on urban forestry in American Forest for our entire now almost hundred and fifty year history. And so five years ago, we just decided we needed to to think about this work in a much more focused way. We needed to to really try to focus all of our 
energies and, and the country's energies on this issue of tree equity, not just more trees in cities, okay. but the issue of tree equity. And we really felt very strongly that it would be uh, unjust um, and immoral, really, to, to try to get massive investment in this work without acknowledging that the neighborhoods where we're trying to most urgently drive investment are systemically economically underserved. That is the underlying driver of the health inequities and all the other inequities is inequitable economic opportunity. So absolutely shame on us if we don't take this, for example, $1.5 billion of federal investment and make sure it turns into jobs for people in those neighborhoods. Where in those neighborhoods, right. It's not just somebody coming in to do the work uh, right. you know, for those neighborhoods. No, people in those neighborhoods uh, have having opportunities and being very clear about, in some cases, uh, as for example, we're doing in wonderful partnerships in Detroit with the greening of Detroit and the city of Detroit and other amazing partners, DTE Energy, where we're focusing on creating jobs for folks coming out of incarceration who have huge barriers to employment, being very targeted about saying, who are the folks in our communities who most need these opportunities and really leaning into what does it take? We know the jobs are there. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, we, we've done research showing that we can create 25.7 direct, indirect, and induced jobs for every million dollars that we invest in this work. So right. the job creation's there. We know from our partners in city government and companies like Davy Tree, their biggest barrier... <laughs> We, you know, we pulled all those folks and then what's your biggest barrier? And they said, it's, it's finding the workforce. You know, we right, have more right. work than people to do it. So we, the opportunities are there. They're only growing, but we've had this missing bridge between the people who need these opportunities the most and their awareness of those opportunities. They're in some cases, readiness to, to step into those opportunities. And so what we've been doing through these great partnerships with all sorts of different kinds of organizations is to fill in those gaps with things like pre-employment programs that work with folks, for example, coming out of incarceration, help them make that transition, right. um, providing support for people as they enter into these new careers, um, wraparound services, for example. So people have transportation to get to this great new job that they have with Davy Tree or their city uh, uh, agency. It just really, really thoughtful about all the things that would prevent a person from taking advantage, of, from knowing about this opportunity, taking advantage of this opportunity and being able to stay in this career once we've helped someone uh, move on to this career pathway. And so we're just with our partners trying to be really thoughtful about making sure Sure, this is part of certainly how we do it, but it's part of how the whole movement does it, right, right. so that we can get economic justice at the same time that we get climate justice too. Jed, I really appreciate the energy, the enthusiasm, and the understanding, the the information that you bring to this conversation. Now, there are probably people listening who who wonder, well, uh, how do I find out more about the tree equity score where I live? How can I get involved? What can I do? Where do you send those folks? Where do they go? Well, boy, do I have a long list. I would get, get a pen if you're listening along, please. You know, I, I'll try to, but I want try not to give you a hundred things. I, okay, I'll, I'll edit myself. But let's let's start with this. You know, tree equity score. We we made a really conscious decision when we created it, which we said if you can operate a smartphone, you know, you can use tree equity score. That um, you do not need a computer science degree. I promise <laughs> you to be able to use tree equity score because I can use it. And I can barely operate a smartphone. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll say it again. It's treeequityscore.org. We tried to make it easy to remember. Right. Check it out. You can dial it up on your phone. You can uh, you can go uh, dial it up online. And and so I really encourage folks go into True Equity Score and enter your uh, community because um, you know we all know our homes best, right? And and I think people will be really amazed when they see with data 
inequities in their community they probably had in the back of their mind, but they, they really hadn't quite noticed or fully connected the dots. And I think seeing that data in your own community will make you educated about what this issue is. And you'll see as you explore true equity score, the impacts um, that these uh, tree inequities have. I mean, we, we we're showing you the differences in, for example, how much hotter it is uh, in some neighborhoods than others. And, and one of the things that folks can do with true equity score, which we think is really important, is we actually created a scenario analysis tool. And so you can actually go in and you can say, well, how many trees would it take to get every neighborhood in, in my community up to, say, a score of 75, uh, which isn't a perfect score, but it at least starts to get a, a good solid threshold of tree cover in every neighborhood. Right. And then it actually enables you to calculate exactly how many trees that would, additional trees that would take, and what are the benefits that would create in terms of jobs, in terms of improved air quality and other things. Um, and so I think there's just the power for people to become really educated advocates in their own communities, whether they're speaking, whether you're speaking with your mayor, your neighbor, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're making a presentation at your church or, uh, right. you know, in a community-based organization. This is meant to be information that people can use to take action. Um, yeah. And so part of that is, is advocacy and inspiring others. Um, there's also tremendous opportunities for people to volunteer in their communities. We we work with a network of community-based uh, organizations all across America um, that are going out and doing this work. They're, they're, they're really kind of the frontline implementers uh, of tree equity communities. And, and these are organizations that are, are always looking for volunteer help to show up on a Saturday morning, for example, and do a planting um, in the neighborhood uh, or do uh, remove invasive species to protect existing tree cover uh, right. In, in a part of, of a city that needs it the most. And so I think that starting with Trequity Score to become aware, uh, becoming a, a vocal advocate in your community and then looking for those volunteer opportunities are a few um, really tangible things um, that people can do right, right in your own backyard and just ways you can take action yourself. But two other ones that I will just say, I really sure. invite folks to go to uh, the American Forest website, AmericanForest.org. Um, mm -hmm. We have a lot more information about the issue um, of tree equity um, and uh, different ways that people can get involved, including, you know, we're not done with the work that we need to do in public policy. Um, and so whether that is making sure that we uh, protect the funds that have been allocated for this work at the federal level, uh, that we make clear that this wasn't a one-time thing, we're actually here to make the point that we need to sustain this kind of investment um, in tree equity in America. There are a lot of different ways that folks um, can, can find their voice in the political process as well. Um, right. And so our, on our website, we try to you know create those opportunities, make it easier for people to get involved in that kind of political advocacy and some, some other ways as well. So and really invite people to go there and explore some of the action opportunities that that, that we're providing too. I'm glad you threw a, a numeric score out there because I, I'm, there are probably many people wondering. I'm wondering myself, you know, what's a healthy score for a particular uh, region? What's an unhealthy score? Uh, and maybe those aren't the right ways to characterize the score. But, you know, I see it as almost like a blood pressure reading. You know, you, you get an indication of whether you're in the healthy range or not. And, and here we're talking about the tree equity score in, in your in your neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, you can kind of think about like your grades at school, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, if if you're in that 75 to 80 range, you can kind of consider that a, a solid, uh, you know, a solid performance. Um, okay. and, and it's really uh, when you see scores in the 40s, 50s, 60s, th those are neighborhoods where you will see, um, I, I can tell you, uh, in fact, I mentioned Phoenix, you know, we were doing a, a planting in one neighborhood, 
um, of Phoenix, the Levine neighborhood, um, and I was looking up some of the data before the planting, uh, and it showed this neighborhood has less than one third of the tree canopy that our analysis says um, you should find uh, in a neighborhood of, of that type uh, in, in Phoenix, uh, you know, a tree equity score in the, in the 60s. Yeah. Um, and not coincidentally, in fact, um, exactly as you would expect, you know, per our scoring system, uh, a neighborhood that has, uh, you know, over 30% uh, people in poverty um, and, and, you know, well over half uh, a neighborhood of people in color of color. So it's just exactly this pattern that I've described to you nationally, but we're there in, in the Levine neighborhood um, in Phoenix and uh, planting the first cool corridor. I should say this is a neat story because it's- an I like that term, of, cool corridor, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a neat example of how you can think about tree equity creatively. Uh, it's not just about, again, it's not just about more trees, it's about where they go, but it's also kind of how they're deployed. Yeah. And so one of the critical issues, um, especially in neighborhoods where people uh, walk and bike more, where they're more likely to stand by a bus stop and use public transit, is right. how do those trees support transportation on hot days? Um, and so what Phoenix has done, which we think is absolutely brilliant, is to find 100 cool corridors where it's going to align its tree equity efforts with key walk bike routes with public transit stops. In this case, we were planting uh, a mile-long corridor of trees connecting uh, the Chavez High School, uh, the Chavez Park, and the Chavez Library um, along this, you know, fantastic uh, walk-bike route and that has key public transit stops as well. And, um, you know, it, it just, the before and after being there the day before and watching kids flood out from school onto this sun-baked, uh, you know, uh, sidewalk. And then the next day, you know, this uh, incredible corridor of trees, uh, along that same route. Um, you know, it just shows you what what this is all about. Um, and so these are the kind of efforts that are, again, they're taking places in communities all across America that people have a chance to get involved in. And, and that this movement's ultimately about, about making possible. Exciting. It's exciting. Uh, Jad Daly, uh, American Forest, uh, you have been a wealth of information and encouragement, actually. Uh, and we should uh, remind people to go to, is it treeequityscore.org? TreeEquityScore.org, exactly. Okay, all right. Jed, thanks for joining us. Uh, we will have to follow up on this because there's so much here that we haven't even covered yet. But but I, I think you touched on all of the, the critical points and we really appreciate it. Spencer, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And thank you for listening to After the Weather. Uh, join us again on our next episode. After the Weather was edited by Leonard Torres. Our executive producer is Marcus Young. This podcast is a product of ABC7 News. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform and leave us a like if you liked this episode. I'll talk to you later. Take care and so long for now.